0: No, uh-huh. Welcome to No Direction, the No Direction Network's news, reviews, and interviews podcast. I'm Luis Loza, and uh, today's episode, we have two special guest co-hosts with us today. Uh, first off, we have Dustin Knight. Howdy, howdy. And we have Ryan Costello. Oh, why am I taking a sip as I'm being introduced? Hi, Luis. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so, today's episode, we are looking at uh, the latest release from the Pathfinder Lost Omens line, a nice little book called... Pathfinder, Lost Omens, Knights of Last Wall. So, unfortunately, Vanessa could not join us tonight, but we have two still ever great, ever special hosts to, to help us out with this. Uh, Dustin is helping on the production end. And wouldn't you know it, our our good friend of the podcast, Ryan Costello, happened to even contribute to Knights of Last Wall, so it felt like he would be able to offer a wonderful perspective on this book. And, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess, first I want to know some initial thoughts from, from either of you about about this book. Uh, I mean, Ryan, you you wrote for the book, but you didn't write 128 pages of this book. So you, you're, you're seeing a lot of different things that you didn't contribute to. So how do you think Knights of the Last Wall turned out?
1: I think Knights of the Last Wall turned out very well, very fun. Um... Now, this is not meant as any kind of criticism. Let me get through the whole point. (laughs) This is the kind of book I was expecting from the Lost Omens line the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so up until now, it just feels like the Lost Omens line is constantly surprising us with new and innovative ways of presenting campaign information and the topics that it covers. This is like a more typical example of what you would get from a a campaign setting book, but a very good typical example of what you would get
2: (laughs) from a campaign setting book. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. How about you, Dustin? What are your thoughts? Oh, man. I mean, I was excited when I saw the book name in the uh, upcoming products list, given my last name. I also (laughs) have a Knight of Last Wall as my first PFS character uh, for P2. Oh, cool! So I was especially excited. And then when I saw it, like, honestly, I was thrilled because this is those AP players guides plus world guides all thrown in one. Like, I just Mm -hmm. want to throw it at my players and be like, we're playing Knights of Last Wall now. Why? Because this book's amazing. So read up, and we're playing. And so, Luis, when yeah. you were
1: outlining this book, mm-hmm. what were some of the challenges of handling a topic like the Knights of Last Wall?
0: Okay, uh, I'll get into that in a second, but first I wanted to explain everything we're kind of looking to do with this episode here this episode isn't a review of Knights of last fall, because unfortunately uh, some of us are just a little too close to the production of this book. I don't think I can appropriately review a book that I was the lead developer on. For the sake of transparency, I was lead developer on this book, Ryan, you wrote for this book. We have other people uh, on the no direction network who have uh, contributed to this book as well. So this is just going to be a breakdown. We're going to look over the book, talk about what's inside and talk about what we like, uh, within the book and, and you know just kind of show it off for anyone who hasn't seen it yet and back to your question ryan hey what was outlining this book like i think it was an interesting situation the the book comes on it's it's the second book that features an organization set in in the lost omen setting first being the pathfinder society guide and the pathfinder society guide felt like a no-brainer just because literally it's the name of the game is Pathfinder. You know, the, the organization is the Pathfinders. You gotta do a book about them. And there's a very storied history about Pathfinder Society. If you haven't been playing since first edition, or if you have and haven't been playing a bunch of society games, you may not know what's up with the Pathfinder Society. So we saw that as a great opportunity to kind of collapse a bunch of, of history and, and make it a lot easier to, to understand and, and get a feel for this organization. Knights of Lastwall are kind of on the opposite end of that, where they were a brand new organization in 2E, didn't really have much written about them. So this was meant to be the definitive look at the organization. So there was a lot of work with both figuring out what little bits of information we had throughout the setting already, and then fleshing out a lot of ideas in advance. Um, Ryan, you got to see the outline. There was a lot of specific requests about, hey, we want to feature... You know this type of NPC or, or this type of group within the the organization or or these items or this and that. So there was a lot of fleshing out being made even in the outlining phase that then was handed off to the authors to solidify more and, and expand more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think
1: of a book like Knights of fall like there's two things that stand out in that title. Knights which yes. really seems like a narrow scope of what classes you can be. And Lastwall, which sounds like a very geographically concentrated area. Mm-hmm. And yet, you want to make this, you know, not just applicable to people of those classes in that region.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's the thing I think we tried really hard with this book, to, to exemplify that the Knights of Lastwall is the name of the organization, but you don't have to be a knight, you don't have to be from Lastwall to join this group. You can be a wizard, you can be a rogue, you can be whatever class you want and be a member and you can come from wherever and that's part of the story being told here with the organization is that they're going wherever they can to grab whoever they can to help them out with their cause um <clears throat> dustin you, you you mentioned um having a character that was already a knight of last organized play how did you feel about the information that already existed for
2: the knights up until the point when this book uh, came out I mean, there was enough to make the Ragathian champion base that I wanted, Mm -hmm. but after I saw this book, there's a lot of more class variety options here and more ideas, inspirations between both the artwork, the NPC write-ups, and the mechanics to uh, really flesh out a full organization of everything from, yeah, casters to standard paladins to fighters to rogues to anything. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Well, speaking of the art, can we talk about a couple of pieces of art, or I guess a couple of pages of art that really illustrate what we're talking about here? Sure. sure. So let's start with the cover.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, a great cover, I feel.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think it's understated, but there's actually a lot more going on here than mm-hmm. you might expect. So it's uh, Calabrine Iomadar. Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing it the way you pronounce it in your head?
0: I say Iomadar, and I say Calabrin. So Calibr- no, okay. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Calibrin, it's Y-N-N-E. Yeah, but it's a fantasy
1: name, so you can say it however you want. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to say it however I want. Congrats. Um, Were I to close my eyes and you tell me to picture a Knight of Lastwall, it would be exactly this. She's got ornate armor, very regal in presentation. Mm-hmm. But the more you look at her, the more you realize just how like filthy she is from combat, her cape is in tatters so like she's well presented but also that that equipment is well used and nothing yeah. illustrates that better than her wiping the black viscous fluid off of the end of her blade
3: mm-hmm.
1: so um that i think really presents what i would expect from a knight of last wall but then if we just open up to the next pieces of art which are in the uh, table of contents not yeah. a single one of these characters looks like her not a single one looks like what i would expect and especially uh, this gnome covered in spiders, uh, Avalorax, <laughs> does not look like a Knight of Lastwall. He looks like the kind of person the Knights of Lastwall would be fighting. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just a great presentation that within a couple of pages, you've set expectations for what to, like, what you might find, what a Knight of Lastwall is. And then dash those expectations saying, like, Knight of Lastwall is way more than what you might initially think.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a fun so because this is a breakdown i can just kind of include a lot of fun information from from the development process of this please um uh, you better be fun it, it, it's a it's a good commentary uh but uh the tables of contents as of late in in the lost omens books have had a lot of pieces of art featured uh, across the bottom and i think that's just partially because you know table of contents don't usually fill up all two pages worth we're not a rule book that has you know 40 different sections uh in in the entire book uh or, or whatever it would be to, to take up the, the whole section but that means art gets to have fun and put art pieces that they like but i also think i looking at this now i realize oh they sure picked a dwarf and a gnome to to fit in most of the art without worrying about it eating up too much space in, in that that area so they can show off some of the more full pieces of art without having to worry about like, Oh, it's going to take up too much space. It's just a fun little thing. Clever. Um, But the other, I think, interesting piece of art is um, more of a a series of pieces uh, that begin on the next page after the table of content, Uh, the, the four chapter introductions for the book, Mm. uh, which are the big two page splash pieces uh, that kind of, are hopefully selling you on what's going on with these knights. And these are an interesting case in that they're meant to tell a story uh, on their own. Uh, normally, these are just kind of big, flashy, exciting pieces. But if you look at all four chapter introductions, you start off with a, a young child uh, being offered a hand amidst uh, a great battle by a knight of Lastwall. Uh, and as you follow this story, uh, you get to see them kind of join the ranks of the knights, the last one, and, and uh, undergo training, and eventually, by the end of it, uh, become a knight themselves and, and be out in battle and, and stuff like that. Which is an idea I had, just out of nowhere. It's like I think it'd be mm. fun to have, have a kid, <laughs> uh, you know, that you rescue and then get to see them grow up to become a knight. Uh, so it's 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 a fun thing. I think, and I—I I was just personally proud of it, so I wanted to shine a light on it. Um, but I'm glad you did. I had not noticed at all. Yeah,
2: that's really cool. I love that. So that's
0: also, I think, hoping to, to sell you on the idea that, like, hey, the knights help people. That's ultimately what they are. They're a good uh, organization, literally neutral good organization. Um, but I think that leads us into this first section of the book, which is the introduction chapter. Yeah, which um, for the most part is just an introduction on what to expect with this book as well as a, a history on the book or er, of the knights of last all organization excuse me uh, and finally information on the knights as an organization themselves which is where I think things start getting really interesting is the the life as a knight of last wall which tells you all about membership and things like that mm,
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Since we're here, what was the thinking replacing the Knights of Ozum with the Knights of Lastwall?
0: Um, the Knights of Ozum, I think, um, they, they, I mean, they were the knights that existed in Lastwall and they, they were there when, when it fell. They were still holding vigil uh, at the time until, you know, things went wrong and uh, Lastwall became the Gravelands. And I think the the change to the Knights of Lastwall represented a change in mindset for the group as a whole rather than just sitting there uh, and hoping to keep an eye on the whispering tyrant and, and things like that they re- recognize that hey this passivity has led to disaster let's instead of being reactive let's be active and as a result let's change who we are uh, as part of that and also uh, in honor of last wall that has fallen let's let's keep that name alive as well. Uh, We have a question from Numbat18 in chat.
1: Since we were talking about those uh, chapter splash pages of art, Mm -hmm. uh, who is the artist? I will have to track that down, but I can tell you in just a little bit. Alright, well, while you're looking that up, uh, I'm going to compliment one of the sidebars. Um, Mm -hmm. It is the... No, not that one. There we go. The nightly Slang. So, typically there's a sidebar like this in the last couple of Lost Omens books, and (laughs) nothing makes me want to play a character more than Getting to use some of this slang, a lot of it is really clever. It's real thought out, and it it really defines the character of this organization. So, uh, like ash for cover, bones for corporeal undead, and uh, I like that the way the bones definition uh, uses hisser, which we find out later. So it's a nice setup for what's to come.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. Kind of gives me some old, uh, like, almost Planescape vibes. And
1: something else I like about this first chapter is that it is written useful both for GMs as players. It is the history of what is happening in the world, it it gives you the lore you need, but then it also gives you the experience of being a knight, uh, possibly what your character was doing up until the start of the campaign. So you read this, it gives you a good idea of the training that you've been through, the variety of options for how your character could have gotten into the Knights of Last Wall and um yeah it, it just really presents it for no matter what purpose it is this is neither a gm book or a player book this is an everybody that wants to know this stuff book
0: mm-hmm. i i found the artist's name uh which i've thrown into the chat but i'm also going to say here of course uh ainur a-i-n-u-r salamova it did the those four chapter opener pieces so track them down if you're interested in seeing more cool stuff um <clears throat> So while we have this uh, life as a night of last fall kind of pulled up, um, I'm wondering, do you feel that it, it covered enough of the information you would need to know what you're doing with, with a night of last fall? You know, hey, I as a GM wanted to know. Your membership stuff or, or the kind of stuff to expect as a player you think it covers enough of that or, or are you feeling
2: like it's lacking in some places i feel like this is a, a great aid for uh, anyone who wants to play a knight themselves or even for a gm who just have every one of their players buy a pdf or pass the copy of their book physically around the table and tell them like here's some information about what it's like being a knight and you know what's it like being a, a cassian if you're young or or if you're coming in later as a foreigner into into the order to fight against tar and kind of gives you a great overview of of how to play that kind of a character
1: yeah i feel like if there was a knights of last Wall adventure path this first chapter or at least the first chunk of the chapter would be the player's guide
2: yeah. Um, if you don't mind me saying, by the way, I do really love that there's a section in this chapter about relationships with other factions uh, and nations within Lost Omens, which uh, is is great for players who want to be like, well, I don't really want to take any of these archetypes, but I do really want to play a someone from Mangyamba. Would that be okay? And be like, yeah, here's a whole section on on uh, how the Mangyamba helps helps the Knights of Last Wall. And of course, then what was really funny in here is you have a sidebar here of allies and foes, and I noticed Firebrands is on both. Those so <laughs> <is> Hell Knights, <laughs> as is Hell Knights.
1: Your first two allies, Firebrands and Hell Knights. Your first two foes, Firebrands and Hell Knights.
3: Yeah,
0: I, I like I think that's you know speaks a lot about dynamics, and hopefully sets up a lot of interesting uh, story hooks as well as a result. Well, From a
1: uh, an alignment perspective it makes sense because the knights of last wall are neutral good and Mm -hmm. so the firebrands are chaotic and so sometimes neutral and chaotic get along sometimes they do not yeah and hell knights are very lawful and so the Mm -hmm. same thing sometimes there is overlap and sometimes there is clash yeah
0: so yeah I don't know if there's too much else to break down in in that starting chapter in that intro chapter Uh, unless you have any thoughts I think we can move on to the next chapter of the book which is uh, Among the Knights, which is a a big breakdown of the various groups within the the Knights of Lastwall, as well as uh, the important NPCs and the important fates for Knights of Lastwall. Uh, The chapter opens with um, a a little introduction on the factions and one of my favorite pieces in the book, which is a Sprite riding a little Corgi and mentions that they are a member of the wing squad. (laughs)
2: oh man that was the first piece where i had to stop flipping through the book and just wait what oh wow that's amazing i love that (laughs) so much i want that as like a a, a pawn now
1: well and the look on the corgi's face is very much like daddy dressed me up for this picture and i have to be good (laughs) but i cannot wait for these twigs to get off my
0: head (laughs) that is just the saddest looking armor on that corgi (laughs) Hey, uh, they just got to be fast, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if you don't get hit, you don't have to worry about... Or if you're too fast to get hit, you don't have to worry about your armor too much. Uh, so the Knights of the Last of break down into two major factions within the organization itself, the Shining Sentinels, which are kind of your knight in shining armor, and the Crimson Reclaimers, which are kind of your more vengeful kind of strike team style of knights, which they each get, I don't know, like... I think four pages, pages each. Yeah, a fair yeah. amount of information, which I think uh, hopefully fleshes out a lot of them. Of those two, do you have a preference between the, the different groups?
1: I lean more towards the Shining Sentinels. Mm. I guess just the knight name still gives me the idea of like a noble in the like polite sense. Yeah. And um, yeah, so just having uh, just like very ornate, honorable uh, warriors that uh, that's the first impression I get when I think of them. Mm-hmm.
2: I lean toward the Crimson Reclaimers. Uh, oh, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love shouting. I love sneaking up on bad guys and, and shouting the Crimson Oath and uh, playing a little bit more. Uh, I don't want to say clever, but less chivalric uh, because it's necessary sometimes, especially against of undead who don't care how honorable you are as long as you're tasty
1: now was this something that was introduced earlier luis that you fleshed out or was this a new concept brought to knights of last wall
0: it, it was introduced uh i guess i can mention that the knights of last wall as a faction there's i guess an organization within the setting were introduced in the lost Omen's character guide and it gave you a bit of basic information including you know, who the knights are they're up to it mentioned the breakdown between the shining sentinels and crimson reclaimers and then also gave you archetypes and some other stuff so that was information that already existed and we got to flesh out uh, Mm -hmm. already uh, a a bit more uh, i think and then from there we also got to talk about uh, a couple of other smaller groups that are i'd say bigger than your typical adventuring party but not so big that they're considered one of the major factions within the organization um and includes some stuff that you wrote right yeah this is probably the
1: majority of what i wrote for the book i wrote the charcoal battalion which was um the remnants of the iron fang legion or like a portion of the iron fang legion was donated to the cause and most of the backstory there is just talking about how the knights got the the message saying like hey we're gonna send all these hobgoblins to help and the knights were kind of like i don't i don't know if we want this help um but, you know, then the, uh, the the general of the Iron Fang Legion convinced them. And uh, this was probably the most challenging thing I wrote in the book because of all the adventure paths in first edition, the Iron Fang Legion might be the one I know the least about. No, it's Iron Fang Invasion is what invasion, it's called, right? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I, I know very little about that one. And I didn't realize that at the end, the Iron Fang Legion turns good. And so uh, that was a fun surprise <laughs> in the research. And Could I uh, ask
2: t- you, Ryan, Uh Yes! I, I was really surprised to see that Lieutenant Galvry of the Charcoal Battalion was a hobgoblin living monolith. Was there a, a specific inspiration for that? I like the living monolith. Like, <laughs> that's fair. I yeah, <laughs> uh, I
1: believe in the outline it just said an Iron Fang Legion. Um faction and so the the name and the like connection to rock and fire was all something that i had to contribute to it and i think the starting point was i've got to work a living monolith into one of my <laughs> factions and the um, charcoal battalion is the one that had the the least uh jet like idea right off the bat and so it's the one that i had to play with the most elements until i came up with something uh original and i hope interesting in fact, oh yeah I, I believe it's interesting for something that we're going to talk about in the shout outs
3: yeah, <laughs> great.
1: Absolutely. Uh, in fact, also... I remember that was the starting point, and I thought that it nothing uh, living monolith related actually made it into the final turnover, but uh, apparently I did manage to fit it in somewhere in the description of uh, our
0: main lieutenant there. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, cool. It's surprising how much flavor you end up packing into those microstat blocks by just saying, oh, they're a living monolith rather than yeah. like, lieutenant or captain or knight or whatever. That, that tells you a lot of, about them. And also, ideally helps the GM a lot by being like, all right, well, I guess I know how to stat him up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think you, you also wrote, uh, Vanguard. Uh, no,
1: I didn't write Eutropia's Vanguard. I wrote the final epitaph, Epitaph, which is Phrasma's Legion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm very happy with that name. In fact, in general, I'm happy with the names of the legions that I came Mm -hmm. up with, but epitaph is a a word I particularly enjoy. And so the idea that these are the Knights who are on Phrasma's side, that it's like, oh, you think you're still going to walk the earth, you dead creature. (laughs) No, we are finishing you off and just that these are the most uh, zealous of all the knights and that the other knights of last fall have to be like, yes, thank you for your, for, for joining us. Now, calm down. We have to be tactical. We have to be smart about this. We cannot just run into the Gravelands and wipe out every undead because you will get killed and turned into an undead creature. <laughs> uh, then I also made the Rampart Warband, which are the orcs of uh, former Hold of Velxen, Um uh, also, like, so similar to the Iron Fang Legion, I had to find a way to take these creatures that in first edition have been traditionally presented as like, these are default bad guys mm-hmm. and now be like, they, they are not. They are completely like, they're multifaceted as an ancestry and these specifically are very heroic or willing to make a sacrifice. And I had to make the two legions feel very different. So I really like the idea that the the Rampart warbands are the orcs of Belkson that were like, they're protecting us from this undead legion. We're okay with that. We are going to do everything we can to make them safe because a lot of what was written in first edition about the uh, relationship between Belkson and Lastwall was that Lastwall was so busy with uh, keeping Tarbor's fawn locked up and, and managing the undead that the orcs would like take advantage of that. And they would do these strikes and they would move the border up and up. And so uh, the Rampart warbands are the orcs that were like, stop it. We need them. We all benefit from what they're doing. And so then when the Knights of Lastwall are, are forming, they're like, I remember those orcs. Those were the guys that we're pretty okay with. And so uh, it, it was actually a pretty easy mutual agreement when they came together.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I think my favorite of the factions that I wrote was the Vulture Knights. Mm-hmm. Um, vultures are extremely important creatures for... Earth's ecosystem, they eat carrion, they control disease, and yet we always cast them as villains in cartoons and stuff. And so I was like, no, heroic vultures, that is my goal here. So they're the Eagle Knights, but they're the Eagle Knights that are fighting undead, and they specifically use a giant vulture that circles around Mm -hmm. the the dead carcasses as vultures are known to do, and they're using this tactically so that they know that if he's circling here, that is the area that I have to worry about the undead, and then they can swarm in. i am just i i was that one just came out fully formed as soon as i knew there was an eagle knight faction and uh i'm I'm glad that like you basically left it as i turned it over louise which is always exciting
0: well i mean the vulture knights i think were probably my favorite of the ones that you you provided i just thought it was such a brilliant idea to use vultures like of course they're going to be able to find undead you know just walking food. Very <laughs> uh, so yeah, I thought it was great. And also thought it was a great um, kind of subversion of your typical, I mean, there's already a, a number of subversions of your typical knight in shining armor with, with the charcoal battalion and, and uh, the rampant war band, you know, again, they, they were ancestries that were presented as generally evil first edition. We're already trying to shake that up by shaking that up a bit more with making them a, part of the good faction and then vulture knights i think again vultures like you said are not presented as good very often so just shaking that up even more and and it's just interesting and fun and also i think helps sell the idea that at this point the knights of last Wall are taking anyone who helps and as long as you're furthering the cause they don't care what you look like or, or uh <laughs> anything like that just just get the job done and do some good out there
2: exactly did the vulture knights have to pay extra to get from andron all the way up to uh, last wall
1: Pay extra like, because of the uh, fairly expensive. No,
2: because of the oversized carrion.
0: <laughs> ah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Dustin, yeah. <laughs> um, Dustin uh, are there any of these uh, smaller uh, groups that well, you had a particular fondness for?
2: Yes. Well, in addition to the ones already mentioned, uh, I was. Very pleasantly surprised to see the Dozen Roses. Uh, mm-hmm. Any more lore about Grey Maidens, I'm I'm all on board for. Uh, I have friends who are very inspired by them, and uh, I love to uh, see their faces light up when they uh, get a look at any new content uh, about them. And there was a yeah. great illustration I showed earlier of that. And uh, the Velimus Scholars. Uh, I was really happy to see that. They're uh, the Mangyambas, uh kind of... Sending some people there to help us support with supply chains and magic developing magical equipment. Uh, and uh, I was happy to see a Noel Singer be their go to uh, kind of organizer.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's I think it's no surprise that the Dozen Roses exist in the book. Um, mm. if you looked at the cover, it, you would see that we have three main <laughs> authors listed on the cover. We have multiple authors, but because of their contributions to the book uh together they wrote over half of the book um uh, you know i think it was something like 60 odd pages of the book were written by just these three authors jessica catalan ron Lindin, and isabel thorne and I think isabel has um n- made it known her love for the uh gray maidens and, and stuff like that and she very much was like i don't want to write this entire <laughs> faction <laughs> extra faction thing but let me write the, the Grey Maiden faction that you're mentioning and then leave the rest to whomever. <laughs> um, so Ryan got to come and cover some of those. And then uh, one of the other authors, Alistair Guzman, got to cover the uh, rest. So while I'm mentioning all these authors, let me just say the rest of the names. Uh, we had Banana Chan, Katina Davis, Ianara Natividad, Aaron Roberts, and Ashton Sperry on a great team for a book that I was... Uh, here, Here's some more developer commentary. I was just like unsure about how much i i was gonna like the idea of this book i thought okay we're going to be doing this in a way that lines up pretty well with book of the dead yeah i guess let's do knights of last fall there wasn't much enthusiasm on my part but as i was writing this outline and fleshing them out and getting ideas about what these knights could do how they work and bring other people in and kind of turn some of the ideas of a a knight faction on its head i got a lot of excitement um and ultimately thus ultimately when when i saw everyone's writing come in and, and finally got to develop the book and put it all together it was you know i ended up loving the faction so much more than i i ever thought i would nice nice yeah uh after these groups uh all these shining sentinels and the like we go into our notable figures we talk about important npcs that are Uh, important members of the Knights of the Last Fall. They they range from, you know, your leaders of these factions to uh, even the kind of more on the boots, or on the, excuse me, (laughs) boots on the ground uh, style, like um, people who are fighting out there or um, someone who's doing the animal training uh, of the different mounts and stuff. There's a lot of different uh, individuals here. Uh, Ryan, I think you covered... um, calibrins i right? do yes i cover our cover i cover our cover girl yes uh i was writing a character that already had a profile in legends i w- you Exa- to i, I just
1: <laughs> I, I almost felt guilty that i was paid for this because <laughs> i just took what was written in legends and made it shorter there's a little bit of new information i add but honestly not much like it's uh, I think anything that I knew that I added was stuff that I'd seen elsewhere in the outline and knew mm-hmm. that wasn't mentioned in Legends. And so just mm-hmm. for consistency across this book, I added that. But yeah, for the most part, uh, it was it was fun to write such a significant character to the faction, but it was very easy.
0: Uh, what made you pick her over the, you had a, a number of people available to you uh, at that time. And, and what, what was it about uh, Caliburn that like drew you to her in terms of I'd like to write her, or was it just? Oh, I don't well, remember. A... <laughs> it might have been that there weren't that many NPCs left anyway. Yeah, she either. might have been the last one.
1: <laughs> so well, yeah, uh, I have no great insight here. Uh, oh, this is go. just some writing that I did for you.
0: That's totally fine. That's sometimes the job, right? Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, are, are there any particular NPCs uh, among the major NPCs, or or even the minor figures presented at the start of the the section? that you particularly uh feel some affinity to I really like very much and I think you can guess. Yeah. Avalorix? Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> the gnome seer who's like making uh, the predictions and everyone takes his word for like he is he's tapped into some divine uh information that is helping the knights with their quest. And then just mentioned here on the sidebar by the way, he is a psycho comp bounty hunter who is <laughs> using the knights of last wall for everyone's mutual benefit but it's just his little secret that he's not a gnome yeah. he is an <laughs> extra planar creature who is uh, what was it, like Morick, he is yeah. tasked with claiming tarbafon's soul like i love that you've got this entire write-up but that's just kind of the veil this sidebar is what's really going on with this character and that's amazing. <laughs> And I know that the authors don't often write the sidebars. So was this something like does the author of this section even know that that's what's really going on with this character? Uh
0: the so there were hints I, I think of Elorix was mentioned in the character guide as like something's up with this NPC. We didn't, there's some weirdness to them. And I think there were so Isabel Thorne Who contributed greatly to this book wrote the the knights of last fall section in character guide and i think she had drops and hints in our in the comments like hey i i actually this this is not a gnome you know this this is not (laughs) what they say they are i'd love to explore that great in greater detail later so we got to kind of pull up on this uh character again in this book and be like oh let's just reveal a secret now let's let's go for it uh because i don't know when we'll have a chance to come back to the knights of last fall in this capacity and then if we do, you know, it's probably and then like some tarbifon related content, Avaloric would probably sit on the sidelines of the sidelines in, in such a story. <laughs> so like trying to reveal that in the middle of, of some kind of adventure like that would be kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. So, you know, hey, let's give the GMs a secret or the players a secret. You know, if there's some players that know this secret, uh, that, that makes an interesting hook and connection to the Knights of Last Fall where they have to help keep that secret and stuff like that as well. But yeah, we, we knew about it. Um, I don't remember who wrote this. I think it was Jessica Catalan um, ended up writing this. And I think I think we had told her, hey, here, here's the case. Just just reveal it. Go ahead.
1: Now well, I also it, like that uh, it, it takes the trope of like the NPC is not who you think, but it's still a good guy. Like, yeah. The, yeah. It's not someone that is villainously manipulating the organization. They're heroically manipulating the organization. They just have their reasons for
2: being in disguise hmm So you're saying that Avalorix is secretly spider gnome. Yeah. He's not a gnome. Okay. Spider Marigna. <laughs> yeah, secretly. <laughs> have you seen the art? He's covered in spiders. Don't ruin my Spider-Man pun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that you included uh iliana testhek Um I, I think mm. it's great to have her in there just as someone to point to for like hey, because uh, a lot of people when Book of the Dead came out, I noticed, on social media were asking, can I play a Knight of Last Wall skeleton or a Knight of Last Wall vampire? And having that entry in there is uh, really helpful to point to and be like, yeah, look, here's one. They exist. Yep. And th- there's some information at the, the start of the
0: the book where it's talking about membership and stuff like that, and about how if you try three times, they eventually let you in because of your persistence. Steps. So, you know, if there's a, a good undead out there that wants to be recognized and wants to join up Knights of Lastwall, I think I mentioned a, a skeleton that comes back to life that died uh, when last wall fell, but wants to keep their vigil and, and, and their, their oath going and, you know, c- comes and joins the Knights, uh, I'm sure they'd eventually be let in. And, uh, you know, if they turn out to be evil, there's enough Knights of Lastwall surrounding them <laughs> that it shouldn't be too tough to take them out. Louis, I have uh, a question about
1: art in this yeah. section.
0: Mm-hmm. For
1: uh, buttons and Fen Tunwalker. Yes. Fen is a male halfling.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Fen in the art is wearing shoes. <gasps> yep. As you just discussed in your most recent episode of Legend Lore,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's no halflings with shoes. This is just not
0: a thing. Yeah, typically no. But uh, Fen is a special halfling in that the sketch came in and, you know, we didn't see enough detail to tell whether or not. He was wearing shoes and by the time the final piece came in i guess he's wearing shoes he, he's a unique halfling in that he's one of the few that wears shoes out there so.
1: i think it's buttons influence yeah yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there any other npcs that you're um you liked in this
2: section i mean, you don't have to like all of them so. uh uh bay starshine yeah uh very, very cool. Uh, I uh, love seeing Shell and Paladins, uh, Shell and Knight Paladins, and um, mm-hmm. uh, very, uh, great backstory, uh, fun character. Like, I feel like if if I needed an out of last wall to meet my PCs, uh, that would probably be the first one I'd pick.
0: Uh, so I, I particularly like Buttons and Fenton Walker just because it's cute to see, you know, two knights fall in love and and that be very important to the knights. Uh, There was uh, an idea from a couple years back, one of the Pathfinder Society scenarios I wrote was um, Lynorm King's base and stuff. And the the idea was that there was going to be some kind of very old couple, a battle couple, as they called them, uh, written in there. And then it, you know, they Things worked out that they they didn't end up in the adventure at all uh so but that idea of a, a kind of older couple that fell in love during battle and, and continues to fight uh together in battle was an inspiration for this so i asked specifically in the outline hey give us a battle couple whatever they are you know that's up to you but but they're a couple so i i i, I like that a lot and i'm also a big fan of Cagric daybreak's uh mutton chops yes, yes. It's, it's just something
2: else entirely that's great
0: mm-hmm. uh after this we we look at the faith for for the various knights of last fall there's a lot of different good faiths uh and also faiths that are good as um nights as a knights of last fall who, who wants to worship someone you have lots of good options uh, including some some classic ones like Iomidae and Phrasmop. There's a lot of new deities in here that either mm-hmm. are premiering for the first time or haven't uh, shown up in TUI at all yet. Uh, any particular standouts for these deities here?
1: Well, the thing that really stands out the most for me in this section is the art and mm-hmm. how we're seeing more battle-ready presentations of some of our former uh-huh. gods. Uh-huh. So Phrasma, You noticed. <laughs> I did notice. Phrasmop with a shield uh-huh. and uh, Shillin with like Mage Arbor. Chillin' especially that stands out as contrary yeah. to well not contrary but very yeah. different from how she's usually interpreted in artwork.
2: True, true. Uh,
0: any deity that already had art in like gods and magic, uh, I decided they should have some kind of different pose to show that they're battle ready or something else going on. So uh, Ray also has like uh, a fireball ready to to launch and, and things like that. Just because otherwise you're getting kind of the same pieces over and over. Right. Uh, so yeah. Thanks for noticing. Well, thanks for doing it.
2: Oh, Yeah, always love more DD write-ups like this. And uh, uh, these are really, 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 really fun.
0: Mm -hmm. I think um, another thing we had to do to, I feel, differentiate these entries, other than changing up the art, is uh, changing the focus of them. Gods and Magic was very general purpose if you're a worshiper here's some basic information but some of these entries like ioma days and phrasmas talk about how knights of last fall specifically worship these characters and how they're important to the knights of last fall so having that focus i think hopefully uh makes this information still useful even though you might already know who fair and is, for example
2: mm, mm-hmm. that's fair did you also, have any uh reaction when you saw uh uh, was there any story or reaction? Because I noticed Ar- uh the golden uh-huh. bulwark, his artwork was um, very stunning. It's it's fantastic, but uh, very visually uh, noticeable and stunning. And I noticed he got a place in the uh, table of contents as well. I mean, it just looks cool, right? Like,
3: yeah. You know, <laughs>
0: sometimes things just look great, and I don't, okay. I don't have much more comment than I think that looks awesome.
2: Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Like the,
0: the butterfly crown in particular is like, a, a weird but interesting detail about you know that's not what you would expect uh a, a big kind of tough armored bodyguard god to have yeah uh, so just it's one of those things that i think is fun to speculate on like oh why does he have but- butterflies maybe someone can build on that in the future in, in a later book or on infinite or something like that awesome so um Includes a number of pantheons, which are kind of a, a, a thing that uh, I think, Dustin, you know pretty well <laughs> about yes. pantheons. Yes. Uh, just taking some of the gods presented here, mixing them into a, a pantheon or, or other ones that, that make a lot of sense. So uh, I, I think uh, there's some that include gods that aren't featured in this book, but are still kind of important or, or helpful uh, as uh, gods for worship like Gazra and, and Desna. Uh, are featured as part of one of these pantheons so yeah just a lot of options if you're looking to be someone who worships a god or or, or follows some kind of faith
2: as a knight of last well
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm
2: uh there's even a good sidebar here on how to make your own pantheon uh using the other gods presented in this book or expanding upon the existing ones mm-hmm.
3: uh
2: the <laughs> fair number of that information is uh stuff
0: I had already written for blog posts and stuff like that. And I figured throwing it in, <laughs> uh, in a, a spot where someone can read it in a book properly and, and get that information. Because I don't expect everyone to go to our blogs right, to, to, to find that kind of information. Hopefully that helps someone in the future. Uh, and then we come, with, uh, come to the, depending on who you are, the, the most important chapter of the book <laughs> with, with all the <laughs> new rules options here, including the other contribution from Ryan. Uh, some backgrounds. backgrounds
1: Well before we get to the backgrounds I do yes. like that the introduction starts with the all classes welcome sidebar just mm-hmm. to, yes once again reiterating that it's like because there's a very good chance people went straight to this chapter when they're looking at the book to see what their <laughs> options are. So yeah reiterating right there it's like look it's not just the heavily armored warrior types anybody can be a knight of last ball but yeah so uh, the backgrounds were really fun to write this is technically my first published second edition um, rules material. Uh, everything else I've written for you has been uh, flavor, like my Lost Omens Legends. And um, the the crunch that I had turned over in that got completely replaced. None of that got published. And so uh, <laughs> technically, this is the first... It, I mean, backgrounds are not really elaborate rules, but I'm just saying it is nice to see that I've now officially written Pathfinder 2nd yeah. Edition <laughs> rules material. Uh, and this was really fun because I just went back and forth through the outline several times looking for things that are mentioned somewhere else so that we can then draw them in and make backgrounds out of them uh i i didn't turn any of my factions or any of the other factions into backgrounds and i kind of had i had twice the word count i probably would have made one per uh but because i couldn't do one for everyone i didn't do anybody and instead i Mm -hmm. focused on uh other concepts like you were mentioning how if you uh, apply three times to the Knights, you get in. And so that became a rare background for Dedication.
3: Mm.
1: Uh, I liked, I've i got a background, or I, I, there is a background both for people that are in favor of the Crimson Oath and people that are super suspicious of the Crimson Oath. Uh, sorry, the Crimson Reclaimers. Mm. Uh, really, not much else
0: to talk about here. It's, it's uh, backgrounds. I, I, mean, I think they're good. They're I, fun. How much fun did you have uh, coming up with the title for Once Bitten? I know you've said that's a play <laughs> on words, but it's also like it's it's a good like that expression
1: is good for what someone yes, who is a it... knight of last uh, of uh, last wall like experienced before getting into it. My as much as I like the name of it, my favorite part of that is that uh, you got bit by an undead and you didn't become undead either through medical intervention, luck, or misunderstanding how undead spreads. Like you were bit by a skeleton or something, and you're like, I'm going to turn into a skeleton. It's like, no. <laughs> no, you fool.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's actually was my favorite background in this uh, once bitten, oh, I really? liked it for the flavor. Then I reread through them again for mechanics, and I'm like, oh, wow, another background for battle medicine. Awesome. Oh, and it's my favorite background flavor-wise. Great. <laughs> flavor. Good job, Ryan. Bitten. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, the, the book then goes into... Uh, expansions on existing archetypes, uh, which is a, a n- not necessarily brand new tech uh, tech, if you will. Um, Pathfinder Society Guide took existing Pathfinder Society archetypes and added new new archetypes for them, um, but uh, yeah, hey, if you were playing a Knight of Last Wall, perhaps with a character in Pathfinder Society, here's more options for you uh, with uh, the existing archetypes.
1: Sorry, Project uh, JKO in chat is saying, I would argue that you can turn into a skeleton if you are bitten enough times.
0: That's fair. (laughs) But
1: as the background says, you were once bitten. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, talking about the archetypes and expanding on them, I love this for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. One of them is that if an archetype is presented in a book, it doesn't have to be the only time you cover that topic. And you don't have to make a whole new archetype that's basically the same thing, but you know adds a couple of things that were not covered by the original one this just lets you expand on a concept and now you can expand on the mechanics so that that concept ties into it you're not beholden to the original version of what that archetype was but I also like that were I GMing a Knights of Last Wall campaign I would probably say something like everyone gets free archetype but it's got to be one of the Knights of Last Wall archetypes which There's, like, three of them, and, you know, if people argued they wanted a different archetype, I'd probably listen to arguments. But, so the fact that now these archetypes also have the most variety of feats to them means that if we have multiple people in the party with the same uh, archetype, they will probably have very different feels and very different mechanical directions that they go with it.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's even different capstone feats for the archetypes, which, that's fantastic. That's, I didn't expect that, and that's really cool to see two different 20th-level feats for the same archetype. That's really neat. And of course, additional feats. Putting in additional feats into an existing archetype is fantastic. It's so cool. It lets you. It opens up so much room. The thing that is new in
0: this book is the section immediately after these archetypes, which is the other archetype section, which takes yes. the existing archetypes from the EPG, like oh, man Marshall and Cavalier and Marshall, and adds new feats to them, which are more Knights of Last of All flavored, which is a thing that I think... Um so I have history with Pathfinder One, uh, where player companion options or campaign setting book options would show up in that book and then never be seen again. Um you couldn't reference them in core rule books or anything like that. If you are very lucky, you could maybe point to an existing thing from one campaign setting book to another campaign setting book if they're mm, still like mm-hmm. pretty relevant. But for the most part, that's a a, a rule that existed: like don't cross-pollinate which i wasn't really in favor of and uh one of the things i demanded when we were switching over to second edition is let me just point to existing lost omens books and not worry about oh well someone might not have that you know we have archives and methods, we have so many sources now where we can expect a majority of players to be able to find this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and that was allowed and as part of that i've been trying to figure out different ways to uh kind of expand things without having to do like you said Ryan a brand new archetype which is mostly the same but it's a little bit of different flavor a little bit of different mechanics to justify its existence when in fact it could have just been an expansion now another thing so rather than have to come up with more archetypes for, for the Knights of Last Fall I just figured it makes a lot of sense there's a lot of archetypes that already map really well let's just make them more Knights of Last Fall ish we give them a lot more Knights of Last Fall flavor so that's how this section came about
2: and, and it's it's a game changer. It's awesome. I, I can't wait to see. I hope there's a lot of uh, infinite creators who go to this page and see it and go, oh, wow, we can just uh, expand on what already exists, like you said, rather than make an entire new thing.
0: They're great. Yep. I don't know. There's not that much more I can say in terms of. Oh, uh, I yeah,
1: I like it. Like, I, I don't have much <laughs> to add beyond what you were saying. Like, this is yeah. a great idea. This is a great use of, you know, the pages that it's not making new archetypes. It's taking the themes and adding very little new mechanics to completely change uh, an
2: existing archetype to fit a new theme.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: I feel like, Dustin, you have a lot more to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, first thing that hit me was instant armor. uh, Was, was, is, is great. It's classic. It lets you instantly, uh, uh, you could bond with your armor with a 10-minute ritual and then instantly don it as a three-action activity. Uh, mm-hmm. So you could get your transformation sequence on, which totally worth a class feat just to be able to say that you have a transformation sequence uh, <laughs> for no other reason at all. <laughs> yeah. It's not for the armor.
1: It's for the sequence. <laughs> oh,
2: it is. It totally is. It's yeah. It's so you could load up your foundry and, and have the music play and do your whole sequence. Um, <clears throat> at least the first time. Uh I saw the, a Vigilant Benediction, and I had to read it a few times just to make sure to see if it was only an archetype feat or not, because it's just so cool. Uh, It, it reminds me of the Divine Obedience feats from 1E, where you mm, yeah. pick mm-hmm. a deity and you get a spell. And then there's a big list of spells that apply to all the deities on the list, which, which that's great, because if you take it multiple times, not only do you get multiple spells, but it also pumps up your Divine Spell DC and Divine Spell Attack Roll, which is... Great, because there are some archetypes early on that don't exactly do that and it doesn't feel as good and you want to burn feats to up that DC and you can't. And so putting it in here is great and makes this a very, very cool choice, uh, that adds something in addition to those awesome innate spells. Uh plus sometimes you want, you know, to get a mechanical benefit from worshipping like, you know, Milani. You want like fire shield or mage armor uh not just without having to be a, a champion or a or a cleric mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah that's cool too uh and then another like first time in pathfinder 2e uh we have a 12th or 14th level feat uh that lets you regain two focus points when you refocus uh as an type feat which uh 14th level crimson oath to mm-hmm. devotion uh which that's really cool because if you're a fighter or a rogue um, or a couple other classes, ranger, uh, there's a few classes that don't get access to the 12th level feat that lets you regain multiple focus points when you refocus and since it's 12th level you can't get it with multi-class dedication so now people uh, knight reclaimants can uh, load up on focus spells uh, which the crimson knights have a lot of really cool ones and don't have to worry about you know, running out of focus points at the end of the day. Uh, which that was really cool too. Uh, the actual focus spell, awesome too. For love, for lightning, really cool. Just uh, throwing out a big burst of electricity. Uh, uses another section of the of the uh, of the vow. Um, uh, invoke the crimson oath was i'll admit it was the reason i took the archetype in the first place so seeing more invoke the crimson oath stuff <laughs> hey, it's a laser sword you're gonna give me a laser sword and not expect to be like oh yeah oh yeah i've taken that um i love love invoke the crimson oath so for love for lightning love that too was that written by the same author uh yes that was also isabel awesome
0: so, yeah. <laughs> isabel contributed a number of uh, rules as well um but she didn't contribute to the next section, which I think this was Jessica Catalan, which was the nightly training where there's much like the idea with the archetype expansions. There's just expansions for existing classes, right? Yeah. Uh, rather than it, it just makes a lot of sense that sometimes, you know, maybe you don't take an archetype, but you're still a wizard who's a knight of last One. you get some extra little inf- uh, extra little abilities here and there. And that's what these feats represent. So there's just a lot of flavor and, 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 uh, possibility for any class i would hope Uh, i don't think every class in the game is covered unfortunately but Mm. most see at least one thing which is yeah pretty nice
2: yeah would you recommend not as anything official but would you recommend for example detonating spell seems to go to all the 10th level casters would you recommend that maybe a psychic might be able to pick it up too
0: yeah i i think that makes a lot of sense in in my game i would allow that for sure just because the the problem with options which is a thing that we will run into forever is that we are writing things that only (laughs) contribute to things that already exist we don't know if some other class is going to come out uh four years from now that's a perfect fit to stand alongside champion and fighter for all the champion and fighter feats you know we, we we kind of assume that gm's uh at least in home games, are are free to to do that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, society plays a different Mm. question altogether. But for the most part, yeah, if it feels like it makes sense and matches with with the classes, yeah, go for it. I'd say give them to uh, those other new classes as well. Yeah, yeah. New classes. There's no
1: gunslinger or inventor options. Was that just, it was too close together, the development of these two books?
0: Yes, I think it was partially. And also um, those being uncommon classes already have a lot of extra stuff going with them (laughs) um so it was yeah i just i don't think it worked out unfortunately but we'll see if maybe future books might have gunslinger stuff if there were things where it makes a lot more sense for them i also don't know if thematically not to we we say all classes welcome but some i think are a little harder to sell at a table (laughs) the inventor can do anything well yes but the the gunslinger is what i'm talking about oh yeah sure yeah no gunslinger
2: well don't don't we have the divine gunslinger artwork from lost omens world guide
0: we have one yes and she's the the one that uh we got a lot of questions about because oh it looks like she's she's uh loading bullets into a revolver it looks like she has six chambers which is not a thing that should exist oops <laughs> there, there's only uh, one you have to fight her for it <laughs> yeah uh which is why we swapped her gun out later in this book for like a numerion laser pistol uh so <laughs> it's a lot easier so um i will admit I, i'm gonna make a confession here one of these feats came about uh selfishly which is the agile shield grip where it's all about being able to have the agile property on your shield so you don't take as many penalties when you're multiple attacks uh, with the shield and stuff because i was playing um the i was playing a fighter in jason Keeley's um, <laughs> strange aeons ap and i wanted to do that so i just <laughs> asked mark hey could we Mark Mark Sector being the lead designer for this book. Hey, can we include a a feat like this? Yeah, yeah, sure, just type it up. I think we have space for it and added it in with the hopes that by the time this is published, I'll be able to use it on my character. Uh, Jason was very, very, very kind and said, hey, uh, you have access to stuff that other people don't. So I'm not letting you take stuff just because you can work at python and know the feats that are coming out you you have to be on the same playing field as everyone else which is nice to to the rest of the group right not to me um and i didn't get to use agile shield Grip until it was published and by the time it was published we finished our campaign so i never no. got to use it <laughs> <laughs> but i think a lot of people enjoy that feat anyway so it, it was uh, yeah i don't think anyone was going to be upset that it ended up being published um now, anyway, I have a question moving from
1: up. chat. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure I understand it. So maybe in reading it, you'll understand it. It's from Creative Burst. How did making any Knight of Last Fall able to take Theses feet affect taking these Theses feats?
0: I think they're asking. So it specifically says these feats are they, all Knights of Last Fall have access to these feats, um, which that has a specific mechanical. Um, implication access just means if it's uncommon and you have access to it you can take it as if it were common so you can be a knight of last fall if you're part of the the group you can just get these feats without having to ask your gm for it basically or in society play you know if you have access to them and or have the right faction or whatever it, it gives you these feats you can take them without having to spend uh any like additional points or whatever to unlock them
2: yeah, but like that doesn't it, mean... so they were
0: saying these, not theses Yeah, yeah. I think they were saying these, but if that doesn't mean that every character can take them. You still have to be a bard or a champion to take reliable squire, for example. You you can't just be like, oh, agile shield grip. A wizard can take that because I have access to it as a knight of last fall. No, you have to still meet the the, the requirements, which is one of those uh, classes listed there. Um, otherwise, you, fighter. Yeah, you, there there are other ways to get that, but. Having access to it doesn't necessarily mean everyone can take it. It just means that you don't have to ask your GM about it if you want to take it, but meet all the other prerequisites is
2: normal. Fair, fair.
0: Uh, <clears throat> moving on from these feats, which have there's so many feats here. Uh, finally, looking <laughs> at equipment and our magic items here. Equipment is a, a short two-page section and another four pages of magic items. Lots of fun stuff here, I think, but all kind of thematic to, to knights and, and knightly orders and, of course, the Knights of last wall.
2: Right. right. So glad Any... to see the bladed gauntlet. Uh, We've been yeah. wanting to see that since I think the first artwork for that was an Inner Sea Intrigue, like five years ago. And people were like, mm. oh, man, I, I want the Assassin's Creed gauntlet knife. Come on. <laughs> here you go. Of course, when you think of Assassin's Creed, you think of Knights of the Last of Of course. Hey, hey <laughs> someone hired the Red Mantis to assassinate Tar Bethelmont. That's true. Uh,
0: <clears throat> any particular standouts among the, the, the rest of the equipment or, or um, magic items for you, Ryan? Uh, I gotta be honest. Anytime I'm reading the
1: equipment, if I don't have a character in mind that mm-hmm. I'm going to use them for, uh, I tend to just forget about them immediately. That's
0: fine. That's fair. fair. I'm perfect. not going to upset with you for that that makes a lot of sense then i'll talk about a thing i really like um which for some reason uh i keep telling people about this uh, on, on other interviews about it but i, I just really like <laughs> the camp shroud which is some powder that you throw into your kind uh, of campfire and it creates this magical aura around you where people can't see your campfire from a distance so you can keep yourself hidden if they get close enough they can still see you or if you if they can see in the dark, they can still see you. But I just think it's kind of a neat little item, uh, and the story behind this is that it I was actually originally a spell that didn't fit in in the spell section anymore, but we mm-hmm. had not enough space in the item section, so I converted it into just a magic item that anyone can use at that point.
1: So like this that. reminds me of the first RPG superstar, where Sean K Reynolds. One of his points was like. First round is presenter wondrous items and like half of them for, were campsite items mm-hmm. and he didn't understand. <laughs> and so whenever I see a campsite item come in, it's like, why do we love campsite items so much? I think it's
0: because it makes your adventuring life a little easier.
1: And yeah. I think we feel so vulnerable yeah. when we're just yeah. relaxing by the campfire and
0: we don't want to be ambushed,
1: <laughs> but we should be because we're sitting there with a fire in the middle of a dark area.
2: When the GM asked during the twenty seventh session, "So, uh, what's the uh, watch going to be? Watch order at night going to be?" And you're like, "Wait, you've never asked us that before." <laughs> uh, I, I know that the RPG
0: superstar um, tips uh, collected tips over the years from Sean K. Reynolds included, "Don't make things easier for the players by making you know their camping life easier or whatever. That's not a superstar item." Which is true. That's not an exciting item for the Superstar Contest. But, you know, hey, we we can still publish that kind of stuff for real (laughs) in the Lost (laughs) Thomas book. Numbat18 wants to know if they
1: can still smell the fire.
0: Uh, All it does is prevent the light from being visible. Light and smoke are not visible. Everything else still exists. So, yeah, In theory, someone could smell the fire, be very confused when there's no fire that they can see, and then just kind of have to live with it. (laughs) Uh, the old, if you cast invisibility on a torch,
2: does it shine light?
0: Justin, what <laughs> items did you think were oh, cool? Oh, um... Items did
2: you- Man, what magic items did I really enjoy? Um, mm-hmm. I was... I'm just going to say one more time. I'm really impressed by the mundane items. I know uh, how difficult <laughs> it could be to write those and balance those since they tend to be considered always semi-always available compared to the magic items. So, yeah. uh, really impressed on that. Um, the campaign stable was really fun. <laughs> um, uh, I... I Really love the idea that while yes, this there's you don't have to be you don't have to take Cavalier to be a knight. Uh, there's still really fun items in here if you want to be your standard mounted knight, um, or in this case, an item for the whole party if you all want mounts. Uh, plus, I, I really like the magical structures. I think they're fun. I think they're they they give the players a lot of uh, a lot of fun things they could do with them. A lot of interesting ways they could use them. Uh, i appreciate the campaign stable the artwork for it is is on point too it's really evocative for what it says it is (laughs) little wooden horseshoe that turns into a bunch of stables for some horses
3: that's
0: it last in this chapter are the knights of last will spells which uh, a lot of divine magic going on but you know spells for for everyone here All, all four traditions are covered a lot of interesting things uh, going on here. A lot of undead fighting spells uh, as well. Uh, any standouts for, for you two on this section? Uh, so a couple.
1: One of them was Empathic Link, and it stood out for the wrong reasons, because you share emotions <laughs> with your target. And it was like, ooh, what if I'm like arachnophobic, and I cast it on an, a naughty spellcaster? But it has to be <laughs> a willing creature. So <laughs> that plan goes out the window. Uh, but one I really liked was Forced Mercy, where you mm. force a target's attacks to deal non-lethal damage.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Which um, you know, in the hands of a player, that's a really cool way of lightening the the lethality of an encounter. But if you were to cast that on, if an undead caster were to cast that on a living player, I forget. Are undead still immune to non-lethal damage? Yeah, in a lot of cases they are. So this this is a great defensive spell for mm-hmm. an
0: undead creature. And Book of the Dead just came out. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It yeah. also has a, a really interesting line where it says a willing target can choose to critically fail their saving throw. So if you cast it on your allies, you can turn on one minute of non-lethal damage if you're so inclined as well. So you can use Oh, it. because they ignore the penalty. Oh, this
1: is such a multi-purpose
0: yeah. spell. You can use yeah. it for your party. You can use it on an enemy as well. So
2: there, there's a lot going on with it.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's th- first level spell, so a lot of people get used to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of neat spells like that that you're not uh, 100% sure what you're going to do with it, but you know you're going to use it and you're going to love it. Like uh Synchronized Steps, giving everyone a reaction to stride. Or, uh, yeah. But what I noticed were the two shield spells in this. Really useful. Really fun. Uh Desperate Repair. Being able to mm-hmm. hold a shield together when it's about to be destroyed, so you have it for you know one more stand, or so you could more easily repair it afterward, uh, taking a little bit less time. And um, dancing shield is getting a lot of a lot of talk for good reason. It's a it's a wonderful spell. I love it. Being able to use a shield to protect an ally. Uh, I want to load up on a bunch of explosive shields and and throw a dancing shield on them, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Really, so cool. actually, I know that in second edition, there is like a lot of
1: uh, like hand economy, we could call <laughs> it, where it really is th- th- there's creatures with multiple arms don't get a lot of benefits for that, and there's very little options that allow you to act like you don't have something in that hand, even though you do. Um, so dancing shield is one of the rare exceptions to that, and I'm wondering what's like is that an indication of the direction that some of the options might be going, or well, is this just an exception?
0: Uh, so if you are a spellcaster. And want a shield? You have the shield spell. Usually, that's good enough. Except when compared to a couple of, of specific shields, uh, you wouldn't want to use dancing shield on yourself. That's uh, just kind of a not necessarily a waste, but it, it's not a, a, an efficient use of your your time and your actions because you have to spend an action to sustain it. Uh, except you know maybe at high levels where you get a free sustain every turn. But <clears throat> the the thing it's really meant for is you have you know, the, the paladin who normally fights with a, a bastard sword, right? But they decide they need to go all out. They drop mm. their shield. The cleric has dancing shield on it to keep that shield to protect them. But then they, they can two hand their bastard sword and, and you know go all out and stuff like that. And in terms of, of that action economy handedness thing that you're talking about, I think it ends up breaking even because it forces some of that extra, or some of the actions that you would normally have to, to spend on it you are not using it but someone else is using it so as far as the game's concerned the actions are being used uh it just yeah hey you're dedicating yourself to to being the shield on behalf of someone else in that case and i think i mean mark seifter said it was fine when he he did his design (laughs) pass so uh, i i think i understand his reasoning for for um how it ended up ultimately so yeah I, i don't necessarily see this happening too often in the future but i think the occasional spell where you do something on behalf of someone else is maybe some so it's got some potential as well um here and there
2: definitely definitely uh do you think you might see a character due to a special monster ability with a broken hand have to use lock item to wield their weapon uh maybe (laughs) (laughs) oh come on it's a great scene (laughs) yeah if you're a gm and you know your player prepares lock item for whatever reason you gotta hit them with a monster who can uh damage their hand just to see if they do it (laughs) oh man uh dividing trench is really cool too uh i love seeing you know whole spells spells that could reorder the battlefield rearrange the battlefield spells that make you want to print out special maps you could bring to the uh, scenario and throw on the table are always kind of fun For sure well i think that covers all of this
0: chapter lots of player options that we kind of discussed already in our chapter or player options preview actually uh, a couple weeks ago <laughs> here for for another direction but uh last chapter here is knights of last fall efforts which is kind of the all the campaign hooks that are left uh talking about all the different regions in which the knights of last fall are, are active and the kind of stuff that they're undergoing and also specifically a, a gravelands gazetteer uh gravelands are a, a new region in, in 2e and you couldn't look back at the 1e uh world guide and be like oh last fall I'm sure that's all the exact same after it got blown up by the most powerful witch in the land. Um, so it's kind of an interesting chance to to show off this region without having to wait on kind of an Ia Dread book or anything like that.
1: I love the art, uh, like not the two page splash, but then page ninety eight where we've got the, one the human strategist <laughs> looking at a map. He uh, looks like he's got the special edition of the Pathfinder Core Rulebook in his sure. hand. Uh, <laughs> And then, yeah, just surrounded by goblins. Most of them look ready to fight. One of them is lighting a bomb over onto the side. <laughs> and he's just trying to get the plan ready for this this group that he's been assigned. Oh, yeah, the, the one is getting a mustache drawn on his face. I guess that's his, his battle
0: mustache. That's because he fell asleep. Yeah, oh. yeah. This oh, is...
1: is okay, I thought he was willingly... Giving mm-hmm. his face to the uh goblin with the, the quill. But now that I look at the goblin with the quill, he does look like he's up to something. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting pranked. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of cool design to the goblin armor. Like no two goblins on this page look the same.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I love how like one of the helmets looks like it used to be a chalice, the other one's just a, a bucket upside down <laughs> with eye holes cut out of it. Is this your standard uh, Venture Captain opening during an org play scenario, by the way?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that, that feels like it it fits pretty well. I just throw on pre-gen faces on all of them and you're good.
1: Uh, I also, I wrote the introduction to this chapter. Oh, cool. And uh, this this opening line, undeath is the broken mirror upon which life and death reflects at once. Mm. When I read that, I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't remember writing that, and so I went back to my outline, and it's like, no, that's, that's not the opening chapter. I guess Luis added that. But no, I wrote it. It's just, it was buried somewhere in it, and it was thrown out as an inconsequential line. So Luis, you spotted that. You saw its potential, and we're like, no, this is the thesis statement for this chapter. And I appreciate you uh, taking my words and making them better.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's the job. Uh, I I, I will say I'm only going to take partial credit on that because I don't remember even if I did that I could have been the editors who moved that around and and realized the potential on it but I sure didn't cut those words before it got sent off to edit (laughs) so (laughs) at least there's that but yeah I I think that's a it's a great starting line and uh, very very philosophical I think about the, this whole nature of, of undeath and everything It mm-hmm. uh, feels like something that would have been just uh, right at home in Book of the Dead as well. So, great job with that yeah. line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't remember writing it. I, I don't nice. remember. It's half nice when of you the get development impressed with your own writing.
2: <laughs> indeed, indeed, it's it is really good. Uh, any any comments for the
0: Graveland section at all? Uh, the only like particular note I have here is, hey, we brought back
2: uh, random encounters. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was my note, was, oh, I saw the D100 charts and, and all these different monsters. I love how you put the, the threat levels next to them. Uh, so you could kind of just look through this and not necessarily roll, just be like, we're playing level five, so what could they encounter in a forest? Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. 2D4 Shambler troops or 1D3 Skeletal husks? That would be a moderate 5. Awesome. That's a good idea. I'm going to look up those stats.
1: And it's nice that I don't have to put my percentile D10 away at the beginning of of a session, because there's very little percentage
0: rolling in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Hmm. That's true. Unless you have a rod of wonder, you don't really have much going on. I think that's literally the only time it shows up in Uh, the core rulebook. Yes, I think that's correct. And because of its existence, we also had to make mention of the percentile dice in like, here's all the dice that you could use to play. (laughs) because technically there's one instance where it might show up with the, <laughs> the Rod of Wonder. Um, I think the, so Ron Landine wrote the Graveland section and he, um, of course, did the, the, the tables here for the random encounters. And I think he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Tui, I I don't think has used too many random encounters tables, at least not percentile based. You might see like a D21 or like a D6, D10, something like that here and there. Uh, but I think it's because it, it, it's kind of hard to imagine what these are because of the, the way the encounter uh, system works. I think he, he did a, a fantastic job with kind of th- uh, uh, squaring the circle here and figuring this all out uh, in a way that works for what you kind of expect out of a classic encounter table, but still doesn't necessarily break encounters. It tells you outright, hey, moderate 7 is too much for for, uh, a 2nd little party, no matter how cool they think they are. At least you have the warning that the the red flag is there. Up to you if you use it or not, but I think he found a way to to present that information in a way that prevents GMs from accidentally causing a problem at their
2: table. And if you have to pick a region uh, to have a chart where PCs might might be smarter running away, uh, the Gravelands is a perfect place for it. I mean, even in the first PFS scenario there for second edition, you uh, are expected to run away from a number of, of encounters that are just too much for the PCs to handle, which that makes sense. There's, it's, it's the Gravelands.
0: <laughs> the, the next sections cover a couple of different regions. Uh, first off, it goes into the greater Eye of Dread region. It talks about, you know, the, the politics of all the nations immediately surrounding the Gravelands. Uh, and then it goes into Absalom, which uh, includes Ulthun II, who's one of the, the leaders of, of the Knights of Last Fall. how he's trying to recruit people, and Absalom being kind of a, a staging area for that kind of stuff. Uh, and talks about the Broken Lands, which is a place where maybe it's not full of undeath, but there's still kind of evil stuff going on, particularly the closing of the world Womb has you know, left behind a lot of demons, um, and then the Shining Kingdoms as well as a place Knights of Last Wall are your knights in shining armor in some, ki- some cases. So the Shining Kingdoms is also a good spot to possibly have some adventures. And finally, cover some campaigns uh, in, in other regions that maybe don't have as much of a presence, but might still have some knights here and there. Um, do any of these inspire some ideas for, for, for campaigns or at least maybe just a character? It's like, oh, I didn't know. I could have come from Absalom or I could have come from Taldor or something.
1: Well, the Numerian night art is a nice reminder of just how weird Galarian can be sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I don't know about anything specific, but just, I think in general, the mm-hmm. main thing this book makes me want to do is run a Knights of Last Fall campaign. Mm-hmm. So something mm-hmm. that's not just roll up a single character and have them, you know, go exploring uh, around the world. But like, I want everyone to be involved in the Knights. I want to be dealing with a conflict that's important to the Knights. Um, I don't know exactly what that story would be, but I definitely know like that would be the ground that I want to, to tread on.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, was, I really love the uh, bit of the Knights of the Starstone potentially searching out other fragments of the meteor that contain the Starstone. Um, mm-hmm. That writes a campaign in of itself, and very much plays to the homage of the classic knights on a journey looking for a holy relic. Uh, especially if it will help you defeat the Whispering Tyrant, um, or figure out what he wants to do with the Starstone. That that whole bit is uh, uh, really inspiring. I particularly like the note about how if they can't
0: figure out a way to you know, stop the power or counteract the power of the Starstone, they might just be seeking a way to destroy it once and for all which is i think a very potent uh, campaign hook
1: yeah yeah like, we have enough
0: gods in this setting
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah did you see the last one that made it he's a drunk <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if canonically he's the last one it was, know, recent. it was Norgorver. technically it was the last one? Oh,
0: yeah yeah so there you go norgorver then i am with and then Caden. so anyway those are all probably asking for trouble in some way or another, depending <laughs> on <who> you ask. <laughs> um, so that's it. That's Science of the Last Fall broken down. Uh, a lot of book here. Uh, I think a lot of interesting ideas. Like I said, the process of creating this book helped me find a, a big love for the organization. Um, it's not a review, but would you ultimately recommend this book to anyone? I would.
1: Uh, so first of all if it's something that just if you're interested in the topic it's absolutely a book you should get mm-hmm. but it's also a book you can get with confidence that you will use a lot of it even if you're never running a knights of last wall campaign or even playing a knight of last wall because you may have noticed that when we got to chapter three which was the player options we very rarely referenced the knights of last wall themselves at that point it just became there's a bunch of cool options in here that could apply to multiple different characters uh, it's designed for the Knights of last wall but it's not exclusive to them and it makes sense for a lot of different builds
2: uh I would also recommend this to anybody uh who uh, is thinking of themselves writing a campaign book uh it it the layout the, the the way the information is presented in such a way really makes it uh easy to to uh, be inspired to run a campaign, uh, to uh, kind of have a setting book. If anyone out there wanted to write a, uh, a, a Adventures in Arcadia Pathfinder Infinite book, um, this was a great uh, potential layout for, for how you could kind of set it up with like, here's the NPC, here's the region, here's the NPCs, here's what's life there for everybody, and here's some really cool mechanics that absolutely push the limits of archetype design in Pathfinder 2e. Well, there you go. Check out Nights of Last Fall.
0: If any of this sounds interesting at all to you, uh, sure, I'll hold my book up too. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, I think next we got to move on to some Pathfinder news, and I don't think Dustin has uh, the the prompts to, to do the Pathfinder news.
1: Pathfinder path, news. Pathfinder
3: news.
0: There we go. There you go. We have a, a tr- <laughs> transition we can deploy at any time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, Dustin, I think you are being very kind and collecting all our Pathfinder news. Uh, for this episode, so do you mind kicking
2: off some of the the new? Ah, uh, sure. First up, we have the organized play monthly update on the Paizo blog. That uh, all these will be linked in chat if you're watching on Twitch. Uh, they announced that every player in both Starfinder and Pathfinder Society now has 80 achievement points, which is enough to get most of the ancestries and heritages, or at least get you almost there. Uh, so if you wanted to play uh, Pathfinder or Starfinder Society, and but you were kind of going, uh, but I really, really only want to play if I can play a, a Kitsune, uh, hey, now you have those achievement points and you're good to go. And if you still just want to play a core Ancestry, you could always use these for some really, really cool, flavorful boons uh, or just save them for if your character gets killed.
0: do you happen to know off the top of your head how much it is for a hobgoblin
2: I think it's it it can't be more than 80 I think it's actually a little cheaper than 80 because of what happened Mm. during a uh, scenario that uh, gave them somewhat of a discount Uh, oh well now's my time to play my hobgoblin swashbuckler that I talked about
0: on legend lore I think (laughs) oh yeah give him an agile shield maybe wait no he, he can't do that he's not a champion and fighter, so <laughs> uh, it'd be a lot of work to get the feet. Uh curse you, Jason Keeley, for not just letting me use it before it hit prints. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh and there's also faction pins now for mm-hmm. uh Pathfinder Two E. Uh I've been waiting for a, a Verdant Bloom one myself for a long time. So I'm uh, really, really happy to see uh the faction pins return for all the new factions in Pathfinder Two E. Uh, and the the boons for them if there will be will the boons are forthcoming uh so we'll see those when they come out uh
1: I was gonna say i'm I'm pretty far removed from Pathfinder society at this point so I wasn't sure if a pin got you a
2: re-roll so you you suggest owning a pin there will be a boon attached to it uh in the old Pathfinder society it gave you a bonus to specific skills but yeah. I, I I don't know now uh Hobgobins are 120 uh achievement points oh. uh even after the discount? uh yeah, no. They, they, I was thinking of a different ancestry that got the discount. uh but one twenty is really easy to get to if you just GM for a couple sessions at Gen Con or Paizo Con Europe, uh, which the next Paizo post is in fact recruitment for GMs for Gen Con and Paizo Con <laughs> Online. Which,
1: boy, it's a nice transition. But we wow. haven't really had a chance to talk about the first news item.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: So I know that this was kind of a, a very famous rant of Param's, uh, how the achievement <laughs> points were working.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, a lot of the solutions that I saw suggested was that if you buy a book, then you immediately get access to the options. I think this is a pretty good alternative to that. I, I don't know what Param would say. Param knows the subject way better than me and felt uh, very passionately about it. But I think at least now, if you're brand new to Pathfinder and you get excited and you buy a handful of books and then you get home you don't have to have that disappointment of finding out that none of the options in a particular book usually the lost omens books are not available to you yet uh yeah 80 points is it's a nice start uh yeah i'll
2: leave it at that yeah Yeah. yep yeah and it's it's enough for Pretty much, it's enough for a lot of things. It's enough for I think most of the uncommon ancestries I'm seeing here. Uh, Just not the one Louis wants. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> uh, and if you GM an AP, uh, you could get credit for that as well. That's oh, another Louis. Have you ever gemmed an AP? Uh, boy, have I. <laughs> I yeah, could, I wonder if I can get retroactive credit for. Having been part of eight campaigns, <laughs> <things. laughs> you can play all the <laughs> Hobgoblins you'd want. Just ask your GM to submit and uh, you'll be good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yes, and the alternative would be, of course, to uh, GM at a major convention gets you a whole mess of points. And PaizoCon Europe 2022 and PaizoCon Online Europe 2022 and GenCon Online all want volunteers. Yeah, PaizoCon
1: Europe got announced at PaizoCon, and it's like right after Gen Con, right?
2: Uh, it is... August 18th to 21st, so yes, later August that a few month. Weeks gives you a couple of weeks. Yes, it does. And uh, all the information is there on the blog, as well as the uh, interest form, and for both of them, which is not a complete... You don't. You, you won't be penalized if you sign up the form and then go, oh, wait, I can't make it. So if you're interested mm-hmm. at all, go ahead and sign up.
1: And so if anyone's like, well, I'm not in Europe, remember, it's also PaizoCon Online Europe. Yeah. And they need online GMs. And you know what? There's probably some times where our European uh, players will be sleeping and uh, we North Americans are wide awake and we could be running games at uh, unconventional times for that convention.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Uh, So the next bit of news... Uh, we had a really cool Meet the Iconics blog that everyone's been talking about by A.V. Cool. It is Mios the Thaumaturge. Avi.
0: Yeah, th- the Iconic Thaumaturge. They are from Ustalov and they battled a werewolf, and lots of fun stuff happened along the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Avi's been uh, very excited, I know, uh, for... A long time to, to uh, have a hand in Mios' creation. Um, <clears throat> I think they were tapped for some of the stuff a- as early as the deciding of what the uh, iconic thaumaturge was going to look like. Mm. Uh, Avi, I think, had um, at least uh, they were being asked about like um, potential backstory and stuff like that. Is there pretty early on? So uh, getting to see that finally come out, I'm sure is exciting for Avi uh and also seeing you know a non-binary iconic is i think uh very exciting for a lot of people out there as well
1: yeah well and the way avi was explaining it too is that it's like people have a certain impression about what a non-binary character might look like and so the fact that this avoids some of the trappings of how non-binary characters are usually illustrated was very important to them i'm also very curious because the thaumaturge is the class that just collects items like i have no idea what this character like how much of that is just stuff piled (laughs) on top of them like where does where does the thaumaturge end and just the stuff begin only wayne reynolds
2: knows yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you know wayne reynolds knows (laughs) wayne Wayne probably has elaborate information on each piece uh uh, on on meos's gear at this point it's interesting. If you ever get a chance to talk to Wayne or, or, or read some of his um, breakdowns of, of his characters, he puts them on Facebook or sometimes on the of message boards. They're just so interesting uh, and lots of great information that I don't think anyone would have known unless Wayne happened
2: to put it out into the world. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, uh, if you like uh, Avi's uh, iconic and you someday want to tell them how much you like it, uh, you could become an editor and work for them at Paizo because there are editing positions open and uh, anybody who's interested, even a little, should uh, apply and check it out.
1: That's it. I love the idea that the only way
2: this person can
1: think of to give up <laughs> that feedback is to get a job as an editor so that maybe they'll be able to tell them in person. <laughs> I needed a transition. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I know exactly how we got there. Uh, but yeah, like uh, I, I've talked a lot about how much I love the Piso editors. The Piso editors are unsung heroes of the entire process. And uh, you too could wear the cape of the editor if mm-hmm. you are qualified. And I, am I am I remembering wrong? This isn't even like there's remotes options, right? The positions uh, yeah. currently remote if you're a resident of the state of Washington or Indiana. Correct.
0: So uh, right now I know Paizo has things set up in such a way that both Indiana and Washington are available for remote work. That might even change in the future. I, I don't know for sure what any plans are coming down the pipeline or if the union is working on, on any of that kind of stuff as well. But for now that those are the positions, but there are actually two editing positions. So if you felt like you didn't have a chance that's not true ever, you can always apply. And I think uh, should, should do so. But now you actually have twice as much of a chance as before, because there's two slots there uh, and you can join what I consider the greatest team in RPGs. I not talking about, you know, the Pathfinder, the Paizo team, I'm specifically talking about the editing team at Paizo wow. who are, are some of my, my, my favorite people in the entire world. Um, great times. And actually I think, this has reminded me, hey, maybe now's our chance to finally have an editor on to talk about editing at Paizo for No Direction sometime. Uh, <laughs> that was the thing that Ryan has tried to do a couple of times.
3: Well, uh,
1: uh, at last year's Gen Con, we got to have an hour-long conversation, Param and I, with uh, with Avi, and it really mm-hmm. was an yeah. amazing conversation. Yeah. Uh, so that is available on the site. If anyone wants to go into the the con recordings, Gen Con 2021, you'll be able to find it in there. But I, I also encourage you to get some editors yep. on the podcast. I also. think
0: uh, I know a few people at Paizo, so maybe I can talk to the right people uh, and get maybe Leo Glass, who's the, the managing editor in charge of the team on, or or maybe bring Avi back, uh, something like that. It, it'll be great. It'll be a chance to to talk about that. Uh, we'll see. I'll talk to, to Vanessa and everyone else and see what we can figure out in the future i'm just saying hey the editing team rules you should try try to apply if you're at all interested even if you don't get the job i think if you're interested in editing you'll end up learning a fair amount from the process right you'll you'll have to learn about even just the little things about what you want to talk about uh, on your resume or application and stuff like that that i think is just always helpful experience even if you don't get much further than that i think trying is 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 still going to get you a lot uh, there's actually
1: a news story, Dustin, in your outline that got skipped, and that is that there's been some additions to the Piso leadership team.
2: Uh oh. oh, yes, 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 yes. This, there this has.
1: happened
0: very recently. <laughs>
1: yeah. So uh, Ray Kong and Maggie Gallagher, or Gallagher, were added to the leadership team. Um, I I don't know if I've met either of them, but I know uh, at least Ray comes highly recommended from anyone mm-hmm. that has worked with her. Um, just exactly the kind of manager you want to have in your department and so now they're they're on the the leadership team now that she's on the leadership team that is just sounds like a great person for the job not to undermine maggie i just don't know her and i don't know her reputation as well but uh ray kong specifically is someone that's been flagged and brought to my attention as like that
0: is an excellent person to be promoted to this position i know there was a lot of excitement when this this hat this information got out internally got out it was announced internally. <laughs> <laughs> oh no A press release <laughs> um and, and yeah just a lot of excitement and i know there's a lot of excitement around maggie coming on board originally as director of oh director of people i forget the exact title that maggie had uh was basically head of hr and now is moving up even further to hopefully help um the the company in a, in a with with more capacity at that point so lots of excitement and it's great to have uh, just more people on that leadership team and have a lot more perspectives as well maggie is the vice president
1: of people and culture thank you and ray is the vice president of technology
0: there you go they've gone from directors to vice presidents good for them
2: awesome awesome uh in other news, and I didn't put this in the thing because it slipped my mind until right now, uh, mm-hmm. June 1st, Aaron Shanks tweeted out that there will be a Pathfinder and Starfinder Infinite uh, celebration starting August 15th to August 28th, and that's all I know about it, but that's exciting.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people have been... I think it feels like Infinite's been slowly picking up steam Uh since its release, um, and I'm excited to see more and more uh, spotlight shine on it, and and more people come to it, contribute to it, buy from it, of course, um, and you know just see
2: that grow uh, over time. Definitely, definitely. I, I'm I'm a fan. If you didn't know, <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, I think you
1: are responsible for a lot of the growth. I don't know what percentage, but there's definitely been you being such a fan of it you sharing your enthusiasm and making sure that people that are contributing to it get a spotlight get an opportunity to talk about the products they've been working on that is a boon for infinite and a boon for the the community and, as a whole
2: i just want more content but great <laughs> content yes <laughs> oh uh is there any other news um, you tell me you're going to put so. together
0: the outline I think the last little bits that you have here probably uh, fit better as shout outs. I thought so um, as well. So I think let's, let's, let's move over to our, our shout outs for the episode. I forget where there, was there a transition? for this? As was well? there a transition for this? Wrap
3: ups and That's shout outs.
1: <laughs> wrap
3: ups and shout outs. Wrap ups, wrap ups and shout outs.
0: And water. <laughs> there we go uh (laughs) thank you for listening to episode oh what are we 277
1: 278 cents oh 277 according to
0: 277
1: i think that might be wrong no i think we're 278
0: oh 278 uh no direction (laughs) oh because there was no 277 live that was the
1: pre-recorded one
0: that's it there we go i i've ruined it all by (laughs) having a a (laughs) pre-recorded episode.
1: (laughs) Why couldn't you record it live after four days of working at a convention? (laughs) Ah, Who could have
0: guessed? Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to No Direction. Uh, Before we go, I wanted to shout out a couple of different things, not our typical... uh, Hey, we're going to tell you some cool stuff. First, I want to shout out the No Direction Network itself. NoDirectionPodcast.com has a lot of great blogs and, and information and news Always available at any time. Lots of great shows, um, including uh, adventurous legend lore, uh, a lot of Starfinder related stuff like Digital Divination, and of course, uh, the flagship No Direction. You can always find episodes that you've missed there. Um, of course, it also has a link to what has been touted as the chillest Discord server ever on the internet, uh, the No Direction Discord server. Uh, there's a link on the homepage there that you can join up. Come chat with anyone about whatever you want, be it Pathfinder, Starfinder, any other games, or just whatever. It's a, it's a great place to hang out and uh, meet people, talk with us directly. And of course, if you want to get us even more directly, if you want a direct line to uh, the rest of the No Direction networks, you can always Try to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash no direction to contribute to the show, but also get access to special privileges, including access to the patrons private sanctum. The after party that comes by after every episode in the direction where you can come by, chat with us about today's episode or just whatever you want. You have us uh, at a couch, basically your digital couch where you can come (laughs) hang out with us for a little while after the show and just spend some time with us and uh, get to hear us talking about nights of Last wall or anything else that you decide you you can kind of steer the boat on that one come by come come support us and come hang out with us as well so yeah lot lots of fun stuff you can do at no directionpodcast.com it turns out Excellent. anyway speaking of shout outs hey dustin what what are your shout outs
2: uh, let's see my first shout out uh i feel like we should uh do a shout out to eldamon uh role for combats uh they announced at Pizocon they are doing a a book a game a kickstarter a bunch of content uh involving s- using uh different elemental monsters uh 20 different elements uh I'm just going to say it. it's like Pokemon and Pathfinder. So I'm extraordinarily happy about it. Uh, I <laughs> I am shocked with how bold they've been in there. Just saying like, yeah, it's Pokemon. It is absolutely Pokemon for Pathfinder. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you could say it's Jade Cocoon for Pathfinder.
1: Or Digimon. I don't know what that means. But I know what Pokemon for Pathfinder means. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah so you could you could check it out at Eldemon. uh no it's not on Eldemon.com. Uh well you could check it out of the post that I will link in chat uh, as I quickly look up where a better link to it you could probably oh no it will be on Eldemon.com uh, there will be a, a playtest there uh, yeah Eldamon.com forwards you to their mailing list and then you could get it become a part of the playtest and uh, check it out and uh, see if uh, it's the kind of thing that interests you Uh, I noticed that you had here on this list a thing I wanted
0: to shout out. So I'm going to get to it before you end up accidentally beating me to it and then I have nothing to shout out. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the the Dice Will Roll podcast. Hmm. Uh, They're an actual play podcast. uh, Particularly uh, very um, queer focused. Uh, I know a lot of the players uh, are part of the queer community. Lots of good stuff going on there. But particularly they just launched... Their Fist of the Ruby Phoenix campaign, episode one, went up, I believe, today. Um, and I'm very excited for that, partially because, you know, hey, supporting a, a cool podcast. Uh, great actual play, great people. Pretty fun. Uh, I think Fist of the Ruby Phoenix is a cool idea for a campaign. And I am particularly interested in listening because, hey, I wrote the first adventure of that campaign. So for once, I have an AP where if people start playing it, I don't have to wait for them to get to book four or five before I start hearing what they <laughs> did with my stuff. I can start hearing it right away. So I'm excited to hear that. So if you're interested in an actual play uh, of Ruby Phoenix and you know me, maybe haven't found one that you're interested in or you just want to hear more people playing this campaign, go check out dicewellroll.com and check out their campaigns or you can check out their previous campaigns. I think they were also doing uh, Extinction Curse and um, Kingmaker, a Conversion of Kingmaker mm. 2 Uh, previously. So lots of uh, great content there as well if you're interested in Pathfinder 2E. Anyway, sorry to to jump the gun. Hey, Ryan, what was your shout-out for the All right, I got a few here.
1: So first of all, Digital Divination has lost a co-host. In -hmm. case you hadn't heard, Ron Lundin has left FISO and has joined a new company, which he actually announced today is Wizards of the Coast as I, I believe some people speculated, and uh, just by the nature of the job, he won't be able to support a, a another company's role-playing game while he's working for Wizards, and so he's had to step away from Digital Divination. But uh, John found a replacement co-host without having to miss a single episode. Jason Keeley, longtime Keeley. cast member of the adventurous uh, actual play on No Direction, and of course a, a staff member in the Star Chamber, working on Starfinder at Paizo. He'll be uh, he'll be taking over the co-hosting duties with John starting Thursday, so starting the day after this releases as a podcast, and you know a couple of days later after this live recording. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Jason Keeley is a fun, clever guy. He's passionate about Starfinder. I have a feeling that he and John are going to really uh, hit it off as co-hosts.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. All right, next up, I want to point out that the PaizoCon
1: Online 2022 seminar coverage is done. It's uh, PaizoCon was only a couple of weeks ago, but all 17 seminars have been posted to the site. It should not be this easy. It it was (laughs) ridiculous how quickly I managed to get those edited, assembled, posted. Basically, the only thing that I didn't get to do in one evening was that uh, I had not created any banners for these posts. And I was like, hey, Dustin uh here's something you can do better than me and faster than me and so Dustin put together all the banners and we were able to release these seminars uh just two a day for basically the entire time so now if there's any of the PaizoCon online 2022 seminars that you missed and that you're interested in and that you want to be able to listen to at your you know convenience rather than having to log into Twitch or on YouTube where they're both available from Paizo's official uh channels uh, you can go to no Go to the convention coverage. Oh, actually, I gotta I gotta update some links because uh, anyway, if you go to Con Recording <laughs> Con Online twenty twenty two, by the time this goes up as a podcast, all seventeen pod, uh, seminars will be linked properly in that section. Otherwise, you're just gonna have to go uh, to any of my now you knows and click on the links, and uh, you can find that in the news section. Anyway, there's plenty of ways you can easily find the seminar coverage on our website. And uh, a couple more shoutouts. Chard Knight, a Knights of Lastwell archetype, is a Pathfinder Infinite product uh, posted by Sasha... Uh...
2: Lara Noah Harvain.
1: Thank you. I, I just realized that I've never said full name. <laughs> uh yeah uh sasha lorena harving and it is based on the 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 charcoal battalion that we were talking about in uh, this very review uh, um <laughs> the product takes it uh takes the charcoal battalion in directions i was not expecting it really emphasizes like the tactical and um ingenuity of the faction which uh I, I don't think I had written in there, so that is just something that Sasha read into it based on what I had turned over, but it's super cool seeing a faction that, you know, did not exist, now exists, and now already has support products for it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a buck seventy-seven will get you a PDF with an archetype for a uh, Charcoal Battalion uh, Knight of Last Wall. And Sasha wrote on Knights of Last Wall, right, uh, Luis? No. no. Oh, no?
0: Oh. Oh
2: well just now a fan it's of the, the
0: like... fan of the knights of
2: last All stuff inspired someone for infinite Very yeah good. and as long as we're doing infinite shout outs and dice will roll shout outs latrell uh of dice will roll got a product that got silver in like two or three days on pathfinder infinite called witches wow. plus it uh, has some. Let's. I'll just say fixes for the witches. Suggested <laughs> errata for the witches is how they put it. And uh, a bunch of new patrons, class feats, final lessons, lessons, a bunch of new content. If you want to play a witch, it's a great product. I was fortunate enough to be able to talk to Tony Saunders and and Derry Latrell on Friday, and it was a it was a really fun interview. And in their the product looks really really solid. Awesome. Well, I think that covers all our
0: shout outs. So I guess until next time, I'm Luis Loza. I'm Ryan Costello. And I'm Dustin Knight. And if you want to find the path, you need no direction.